Welcome to the Teaching Behavior Together podcast, where I provide you with actionable steps for making your classroom management plan effective by incorporating behavioral and social-emotional learning activities into your daily teaching. Hi, I'm Maria, and I have 10 years experience in the field of behavior analysis. In each episode, I will be providing you with effective and evidence-based strategies you can use to create a classroom environment you want to go to each morning. No longer will you be driving home in tears over the overwhelming feeling of trying to manage student behaviors. So sit back, listen up, and start seeing success. All right, hi everyone. We have Caitlin here from Beltran's Behavior Basics, and we're going to talk today a little bit about being adjunct professor. So Caitlin, do you want to just go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. I am Caitlin Beltran. I am a district behaviorist and I work full-time for a K-8 district. And then I also teach at Rutgers University part-time. And so I currently am teaching two spring courses and I also teach summer courses on occasion for the Graduate School of Education. Awesome. And Caitlin, this is our second time being on the podcast. So if you haven't listened to the first episode, we did do a whole episode about waiting out behavior change because we know that can be really challenging. But tonight we wanted to talk about just being um, adjunct professors. Caitlin and I both teach part-time courses at the college level, and we get a lot of questions about it. So we thought we'd do a whole episode about it. So um, why don't we first talk about how did you get started teaching classes at the college level? Yeah. So my story is probably more unique. Um, I did go to Rutgers and I went to Rutgers for undergrad and graduate courses. And then I got my BCBA from there as well. And I had always thought about that might be something I want to do, like teach at the college level one day or down the road or something. Um, And actually my husband also graduated from Rutgers and he went through the counseling department. And so after he graduated his program, um, a former teacher had reached out to him and asked like, Hey, do you want to teach like the practicum of um, sort of like teaching the students who are doing their counseling internships? And so he did that first semester. And then they asked him, Hey, are you special ed certified? Or do you know anyone? We're looking for someone over in the, the graduate school of education to teach. And he said, no, but my wife is. And so he forwarded my resume along and um, that was how that led me to my um, first teaching job at Rutgers. Awesome. I um, heard about teaching as an adjunct professor. I was getting my PhD at the time. And when I was getting my PhD, they give you a very small student stipend and I didn't want to take out a loan. So I knew I had to find something else to do, but I didn't want to just do like a random job. I wanted to do something that would help me like further my own knowledge and skill set and repertoire and stuff like that. And I just went online and searched ABA, online ABA programs and cold emailed a bunch of directors of programs and heard back from two of them and sent them my resume and a cover letter. And I was like signing a contract within like a week to start teaching the following semester, which was really cool. Also kind of intimidating at the same time because it was like, what did I get myself into? But uh, I taught for two different universities for a while now I just teach at the one because working full-time it wasn't feasible to do too um but yeah that's how I got started so there's a lot of different avenues I think I've also recommended to people if there are any local conferences in your area and there are universities from that area that have programs that you would want to teach in that attend those conferences and have like booths in their like exhibit halls to bring like a resume and just let them know that like you'd be available to teach adjunct or online classes, especially now when more and more universities are offering online options. 
because um, that could be a good way just to get your face in front of different people. And adjunct options typically, like there, there's a little more turnover than a, a full-time professor tenure track position. Um, so that it could be an opportunity that they at least get to meet you face-to-face -to -face too. So that's, I've recommended that to people as well. That's a great idea. And I was going to say, I've also recommended to people just checking like the website job opportunities for the individual colleges. Like if there is a specific institution someone's looking for, because as you said, the part-time lecture, at least I know at, um, you know, the local colleges and universities, there's a lot more turnover. And so I think sometimes people think that there's never going to be an opening or it's always who, you know, but I think people would be surprised that they post for the jobs a lot more than you would mm -hmm. think because of that reason. Yeah, and I know a lot of universities also keep an adjunct pool of resumes because uh, like I sign a contract from quarter to quarter at the university I teach at, and they email me like the quarter before asking, you know, in fall the email, do you want to teach in spring? And if I were to say, you know, no, you know, my spring looks really busy, then they start pulling from that adjunct pool. Um, so that, you know, just getting your resume in there, you never know when they're going to be contacting you about potential openings. Absolutely. So how long have you been teaching? Um, I think my first was summer of 2018. So this is my fourth year teaching with them. That's so funny. It's, it's my fourth year too teaching. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> I so um, how many courses do you typically teach in during the year? So the first two years, I just taught one summer class. And then last spring, they asked me to pick up a spring course, which I really liked because summer courses, um, I mean, typically the same at all universities, they're like much more condensed. So the schedule is just a lot different. Mm -hmm. So I really enjoyed doing a kind of like a more traditional uh, once a week full semester course. And then this year I'm actually doing two spring courses at once, like two different courses. And then I also have my summer course coming up. So this is the first year where I will have taught three in one year. Wow. That's a lot. Doing two at once is, is I've, I have not, I've yet to do that. <laughs> Yeah, that was definitely a challenge at first. And I think the only reason I was prepared was because one of them I had taught already and was super comfortable with. And the other one was a new course, which I love because it's all about autism and other disabilities. But I think if it were two brand new courses, I would have probably had to say no and, and turn one down because I wouldn't have felt prepared to do that. Yeah. That's another thing that people have to keep kind of keep in mind is I've taught over the course of four years, I've taught four different courses but right now I've been in a cycle where I've just been teaching the same course over and over again because it just it lessens like the shuffle that you have to do and everything how prepared you have to be I mean I've, I've taught research methods now for four semesters in a row and so I just like every semester I'm like lecturing on the same thing I have really refined the activities that I use that students have given feedback that they really enjoy them so that's you know, it's not always like this daunting, you have to create this whole course every semester, but a lot of times they give you the opportunity to um, continue to teach the same thing you've been teaching. Yeah, that's definitely my favorite is the one course that like this will have been my fourth time teaching it because like you said, I feel like every time I teach it, I kind of refine it a little bit, but then I also sometimes end up coming up with notes for myself for like future semesters. So I'm not like starting over from scratch each time. And it's, you know, there's definitely still work involved um, beyond class, like grading and tweaking things, but it's a lot less legwork than like starting a brand new course for yourself. Right. Yeah. I like, especially with the grading, you know what the assignments are, you know what they're looking for. It's not so much like 
it, it, it makes you more efficient when you've done it a couple of times um, with that. So what are your yeah. favorite parts of being an adjunct professor? I think my favorite part is honestly just like connecting with the students who are going to become because all of my um, students are going to become teachers. Like that's the program they're in. And a lot of them are going to become special education teachers, although not all of them. So I love talking about like kind of bringing my teaching experience to them and hearing about like what they're going through in their teaching experience. And I think that um, because I am not a full-time professor and I'm still in the field of education and working in a district during the day, it makes us like, relate to a lot of things on a different level, which I know when I was going to school, I really enjoyed when professors had like that kind of knowledge and ex um, experience like that was more current. Mm -hmm. And then I really like just like having discussions about all dif our different topics. Like we talk about a lot of different topics in education that um, not, I don't want to say controversial, but like different ways of doing things and different styles of doing things and like hearing everyone's perspective. Because after a while, when I'm working in a district, like, you know, you get that feeling like I only know what we're doing right now. So it kind of brings me back to hearing about like everyone's different experiences and also like how they view everything, like something we do in my school that we might really love to do. They've had bad experiences with or vice versa. Mm hmm. Yeah, definitely. I One of the most common comments or reviews that I get is um, that people appreciate that I still work full time, right? And that I have like day-to-day -day experience to talk about. And so I, I teach mainly in an ABA program. All of the students are getting their master's in ABA. Some are going to like pursue the BCBA credential, some won't. But um, a lot of, you know, newer people pursuing the ABA degree aren't necessarily just looking to work in the field of disability, but also in different areas of ABA and ABA is, uh, the field of ABA is growing so much that a lot of us people appreciate that I don't work like in a clinic, a traditional clinic setting where a lot of their professors have, and that there's nothing wrong with that. Just like a lot of the examples that I give, I try and give like a wide array of how we can apply these principles to one us as adults our daily lives but also in school settings or you know other settings that i've had experience in which i think students really appreciate I, I don't know how many times i've gotten the comment like it's so nice to hear somebody who you know works day in and day out and i think it also um helps with like i i understand i'm not saying other people don't but I completely understand when they email me on a Saturday saying like, I just can't get the assignment done. Can I get it to you a little bit later? I'm like, yeah, I have a full-time job too. You know, like I totally get it. Life happens. Life gets in the way. And I don't know how many times people have emailed me or written in a review. Like they really appreciate that like relatability factor of, um, you know, juggling all the things that we're juggling um where you know i'm sure other professors are very understanding at the same time but i make sure to start off all of my classes saying like i know you have a life i know you work 40 hours same here like you know if you get behind email me and we'll work something out so Yes. That's so funny. That's probably the most common comment I get as well, that like it's uh, either it, they appreciate having someone who's in the field currently. Um, and like you said, I'm sure if people are not, they have other ways of connecting with their students, which is awesome too. Um, but I think it's nice that like both that, like, you know, me and the students I have are 
currently like in districts and currently like in classrooms and like kind of like seeing similar things in different settings, but at the same time, and it's not like, you know, the last time I was in a classroom was 20 years ago or something. Um, and then also, like you said, because I don't do this full time and I kind of personally enjoy that. Like I like doing both. I feel like if I just worked in the district or if I just taught at the college level, I might, I would not have those like different varied experiences that I like having. Um, but because it's not my only thing, I understand, like you said, what it's like to be like doing something else. Not that I find my district job more or less important. It's just like another thing on my plate and just reminds me too of like, uh, you know, of course, I remember being a grad student and just being so overwhelmed with life and feeling like, then I still look back on that time and think like, I think I was busier then if that's possible than now. I don't know why, but I was yeah. teaching, I was doing field work hours. I was doing my courses and working. So there's so much going on at once. It's like a very crunched in time feeling wise. So I think that's appreciated. And I always tell my students the same thing. I'm like, if you can't get something done by the deadline, like you definitely have to do it. Like, I'm not going to like pass you if you don't do it, but if you email me, it's much more well-received than if I just don't hear from you at all. Mm -hmm. um, so the communication part is huge. And I've had really good success with that. Most of yeah. the students, you know, by the time they're at this level, they're um, not just falling off the face of the earth when the assignments do. They're like letting you know if an emergency or something urgent came up. Right. And I, I really enjoy teaching at the graduate level. And I always tell uh, my students, my main goal for the this course is that you understand the material. It's not that you got your assignment at 1158 on a Sunday night. It's not that um, I took off two points because you didn't word this completely correctly. It's that you understand this material and can apply it to your job in a meaningful way. And it can be a little tricky with research methods. A lot of people don't necessarily do that all the time because I mean if you're a practitioner I'm not doing research as a practitioner so like but I try and really relate it to them and really hone in on that like just understand this and I think at the graduate level there's that appreciation for really wanting to understand the content because you know this is going to be something that you can utilize day in and day out of your job where I think if I was teaching like an intro level course at like the college level there might not be that understanding as opposed to the I just have to get the A like I just want like my main focus is an A or whatever grade that they're striving for over really understanding the application of the concepts that we're talking about yeah I totally agree I was just thinking that this semester as well like I don't know if I would like it as much if I were teaching some kind of undergrad course and maybe I would I don't know I haven't done that um, but I do, feel, I do appreciate that most of my students who are in the class are there because they, they know what they want to do and this is what they want to do. So it might not be every session is like the most relatable to them, but the subject matter of just teaching and education and special education tactics, like they want to learn it because it's what mm -hmm. they want to do for a living. So they're very pretty much on the whole motivated to whether it's participate or turn in the assignments or do well. And it fosters like a nice, usually we get like good discussions and things like that. Yeah. It's so, it's so interesting. Cause when uh, I was going to get my PhD, like the main route that people take is going into academia. And I was like, no, not for me. Like I'm going back into a school. It's not going to be my path. And not even a year into my program, I was like, I think it would be fun to do that. So what and I knew I wouldn't I wouldn't do it full time. Like I, I don't think I would get as much fulfillment out of being a full time professor as I do out of being a full time behavior specialist and just doing this on the side because I do really like connecting with new uh, BCBAs or people pursuing the certification. 
but it, um, it's fascinating to me like that it, it is so enjoyable and I definitely think if people are interested in it or have any inclination of like this might be something I really enjoy to definitely try it out. Yeah, I don't know um, a lot of people who dislike it. I mean, I guess once they, if they've done it and they don't like it, they probably just move on quickly. But I find that most people do enjoy it. Um, the people that I know, like in my department who do it part-time or things like that. And it's kind of like... Um, maybe like refreshing is the right word because like we were talking about earlier when you're at the district job and it's not like, you know, we both work for districts. So we don't go to all different districts or all different schools or, you know, we tend to see the same families, the same staff members, which I love. Like I, I personally love working for a district as well. Um, but that being said, like it just limits the experience you have as opposed to if you're a consultant or somebody mm -hmm. who's more broad environments. So I just feel like it brings like that new kind of sense of passion to like the field that I'm in. And if I'm talking in class about like a topic that we're researching and then I'm in my district the next day, I'm actually like thinking about like, oh yeah, like it's not like I dusted off the research book to like dive into it at night just to read it. Like I had to read it for class. So then it's on my mind. So it might like spark a new idea for me for a student's behavior strategy or something like that. Mm -hmm. I feel like it keeps me fresh in that way because it just um, keeps my mind going in different directions, which definitely, I like. Definitely, definitely, and definitely, and getting um, the, your students' experiences right because at this point they've had work experience to some extent, most of them, and uh, a lot. I've been lucky that a lot of people in my class, um, a lot of them work either in clinic-based settings, school-based settings. I've had students that work in like detention centers and a bunch of different areas that bring a really unique experience. And I end up learning a lot from them too. It's like a definitely a two-way street where I'm, you know, telling them all about research methods and they're telling me about, you know, how the, you know, what they're interested in. And, you know, it, it just, it helps on both ends, I think too, to keep you fresh and what's going on. And I'm not, feeling like the day-to-day -day is kind of like the same thing over and over again. Yeah, exactly. It's something I look forward to really, like when I'm teaching, like I, you know, there's those nights where I'm like, oh no, I'm not prepared or something, or it's, it can feel like a little bit of a burden at times if it's a busy week. But I would say like 99% of the time I'm like, oh good. Like I'm excited because I have class to look forward to tomorrow mm -hmm. night or something like yeah, that. For sure. So do you have, what advice do you have for someone who wants to be an adjunct professor? So for somebody who's trying to become one, I would say um, the tips that you mentioned earlier are great as far as like getting your name and your face out and trying to make connections um, and then maybe just following up on those things. Like once I think looking at like um, online applications is great, but even just looking into like the departments that you're interested in and really looking at who's in charge versus like who's the administrative assistant or something like that. And if you can kind of figure out like who the people are that are making those decisions, um, even if you have to ask around for a while to do that, it might pay off in the long run. Cause I work for a really large university. So, um, there's times where like someone will email me and I, and I currently work there and I'm like, I don't know who that person is. Like, it's just very, very large. And sometimes it feels like there's too many cooks. So sometimes just understanding that like you might put a job application in online and it might not get to the right person for a long time. So you might have to do a little legwork and looking at the department layout or the faculty list or something online. And then beyond that, I think, um, for, teaching if you're if you're lucky enough and you're fortunate enough to know that's what you want to do and then to find yourself in a teaching position um, I find that I do most of my preparation before the semester starts and that has 
paid off tremendously for me. Like, mm-hmm. especially when, if it is a new course that I'm teaching this year, I did so much work over uh, winter break and we were, I was a little bit lucky too, in the sense we were doing um, virtual learning. So it cut my commute down in a lot is what I'm trying to say. And so I had a little extra time at night to prepare each day for the semester. And I once I prepared my whole semester in advance, and that might be too much for some people, but I feel like I have to, because I have to see it planned out, start to finish. Then I just feel like week to week, I'm dealing with like things that crop up or grading assignments or things like that. But for me, I find like I can never be too prepared to start my new semester. And I'm already thinking about my summer course starting now because it makes it flow so much better. Um, once we, once the semester starts. Yes, I definitely 100% agree. I prep my class before it starts. I know exactly the outline of what I'm talking about. I would say have planned activities throughout for students to do. And I also ask students at the beginning of the semester, like, Throughout the semester, we're going to have these activities. A lot, All of my courses have always been online. A lot of people do not like Zoom breakout rooms. And I made the mistake at first of just not really asking and just being like, hey, you're going into a Zoom breakout room, do this activity. And I got feedback like sometimes when you push us out into rooms, people go and feed their kids or they go to the bathroom or this or that. And I, I get that. Like, you know, you're a graduate student, you're at home, you have your family and all that stuff but it's not necessarily conducive to everyone getting what I was intending them to get out of that time. Um, So I've actually been cut, I completely cut out Zoom breakout rooms and just do a whole class activity. That way if people need to get up and feed a family or put a kid to bed or whatever, because all my classes are recorded too, so they can go back and watch the recording, um, that can happen. But we're also getting all of the work done on the activity and you can you know, watch the recording if you need to see it again. So that's definitely prep your class like from start to finish because you won't realize how quickly Sunday night creeps up. Like I teach on Monday night, so I don't like Sunday's there and I'm like, okay, got to post the PowerPoint and the link to class. And if I was doing that week to week, I think I would have been burnt out by now of, of you know, just that week to week grind where my class is prepped on Sunday, I post the next week's lecture, the link, and, you know, get right into everything's ready for, for me for that night. It feels less chaotic when I get home and I'm, you know, ready to log on Monday nights. Um, for sure are things that I would definitely do. That's so funny. You said that about the breakout rooms, because this, um, past year was the first time I taught at the college level online because my courses were always in person before that. And so then I thought kind of like the same wavelength, I guess I was like, oh, we're going to do like all the activities we did in class. We could kind of translate them to like Zoom if we do breakout rooms, because I'm not sure how big your courses are. Mine are usually like 15 to 30 kids at once. Yeah, same. So I felt like it was going to be too big of a group, but then I noticed sometimes like, I think there's like a perception that like at the college level, like breakout rooms are going to go really well because everyone's mature and they're not going to do that thing where they like just leave and do a personal errand or something. But like you said, that's just not always reality. Um, And no matter what age you are, I think it's like, okay, we're in a room where that person who's our teacher, you know, is not watching us. So like we might take a few minutes and talk, which is obviously totally fine, but just defeats the whole purpose. Mm -hmm. So I started this semester more like asking the students like, okay, you know, would you guys want to break out for this or stay together? 
And like overwhelmingly, they all want to stay as a group. Like it doesn't matter how big the group is. And so I told them up front, like, I prefer that too. Like, because that way I can see everyone the whole time. I don't wonder what you're doing in your breakout room. Um, But at the same time, like it works both ways. So like, if we're going to stay as a group of say like 19 people, there has to be discussion and you have to answer questions and you can't just leave the room or something. Mm -hmm. And I do find it has worked out better um, because um, I don't know. I think it's just nice to, to have that sense of community, like whether you're in person or not. And these are kids that would normally have been in person and now they've moved online because of COVID. So they're not in a situation like where they would strictly be virtual students. Um, and they are with kids online who they know from before COVID. So like mm-hmm. they're a cohort together. Okay. So if they, if we come to class and then like immediately break out or something like they're losing a lot of that sense of community from their cohort group that they were used to in person. Yeah, for sure. And I, I'm now thinking back to the class when I was getting my PhD, I was a, a teaching assistant for a class. And so that class was in person and thinking back to that class um, I, I forget, it was like maybe 15, 12 to 15 students in the class. And we, they always also preferred like whole group activities too. And um, I mean, we would do like small like group things at times, but I remember like a ton, it was a supervision course. We did a ton of test prep like as a group. And it was also nice to like everyone learn from each other. Cause I think also what can happen in person is when they split up into groups, people just stay in the same group that they're always in. And typically that's, you know, someone that you know who might be, have a very similar role as you and, you know, just getting other people's input, I think is important to, to hear and like reflect on and stuff. Yeah, for sure. Cause if you think about it, like when, at least for me, when I was in person, if we did some kind of small group work, even when they were in their little group, like they were you know, there was a lot of feedback going back and forth. If someone asked me a question, like everyone could hear it versus like in the breakout room, it's just going to like the chat and then back. So they're missing out on that. If you're just in breakout rooms, which I think have a time and place, of course, like if it's a certain activity, but yeah. One, one other thing that I would definitely recommend is listening to your students for sure. If you're lucky enough to continue teaching, taking what is said in reviews and, um, really utilizing that information. I do. I read my reviews really carefully. And so I, I try to like take into account and I know like not everyone completes one. So I try to give them time like during class or do like my own little thing. If I'm doing like a discussion board that week, I'll add a question like, what was your takeaway from the course or something? Just because I want them to know, like it is meaningful to me. And I think back when I was in college and how many times I didn't really put the thought that I should have now looking back to like how important that was because it really shapes like, you know, it's feedback that you wouldn't hear from anyone else Mm -hmm. because when you teach Mm -hmm. at the college level, like you don't have like an administrator or supervisor popping in and telling you like, well, this was good. And this was bad. I think that a lot, like you're kind of on your own Island. Um, One thing I did this year too, was like, I sent a survey before the semester started, which like not to overwhelm with work or anything, but just nowadays, since you have your roster typically so early and everything's online, I just did like a quick Google form of like, you know, um, things about breakout rooms. Like, do you prefer to stay together? Do you prefer to do breakout rooms? Do you have like pronouns prefer to things like that? Just to like take five minutes to answer these, if you want, totally optional, of course, but just to like guide me in a sense of like what Mm -hmm. teaching learning styles I'm working with. Yes, I that's such a good idea because I, in larger classes I found um 
typically like the first session we go over the syllabus, I tell them about me and then I want them to share. And I have noticed that the students that share about themselves, because that's optional, they don't, not everyone has to share, are the students that typically are the ones that participate the most. And I, you know, I want to know everyone. So it's a really good idea to also like send out a survey at the beginning, just so you know everyone. But if you know, not everyone's comfortable with sharing things, um, you, you know, at least know a little bit about their background or like what, you know, what their occupation is to kind of, I really like knowing where people are working so I can help guide examples because I don't want anyone to feel like in the class, like they're sitting here and um, like I've had students who work in like juvenile justice centers and I had, you know, some experience in a juvenile justice center. So I was trying to like filter in some examples about that, even though not everyone could relate. I also don't want to sit in the class and only give elementary level classroom examples of like you know this is how you can do this in a classroom setting but you know yeah. so people can identify with that and also see how this can translate into their job yeah for sure I think um I think I would do that again the survey and maybe even change it a little bit based on some of the stuff we were talking about what about imposter syndrome I get asked about that a lot like do you do I ever have imposter syndrome? How do I deal with imposter syndrome? I am relatively young in my career. And um, so it's definitely something I've always been cognizant of. And imposter syndrome has definitely gotten in my way at times. For sure. I think my first semester teaching till until now, it's definitely, I've gotten better at managing it. Like I, I remember my first semester thinking like, maybe I shouldn't even be doing this. Like, and there was no reason for me to think that, but it was just because I hadn't done it before. And so I was overwhelmed by that. And then now seeing that how, um, you know, like sometimes I do have to remind myself, like I am qualified to do this. Like there was, there's one course I taught that it, it's just not my favorite to teach, but it's not like my, like I dislike it. It's just like, I don't know if I should be doing this. Maybe someone else should be doing it who has more experience, like in this exact setting. And I said that to someone aloud the other day and they were like, you're completely qualified to teach this. I don't know why you would think like someone else would be better suited to it. And so I think we all have that um, thought that runs through our mind at certain points or another, like, you know, like somebody else will be better at it or, you know, um, somebody else would be do it differently or something. And I think it's just important to remember, like we all have those thoughts and feelings at times. And most of the time, like if you're in that position, then you're absolutely qualified because you wouldn't have been given that job otherwise. And you're probably doing it more successfully than you think. And it's a lot of that is like in our heads versus what the actual scenario is. And I also think just like, you know, something to be said for experience, like that first year, I think I would have felt that that no matter what, and now I feel a little bit more confident and, you know, more confident. I should say, I never want to get to the point where I feel like, oh my gosh, I'm the best at this. Cause I feel like we're all always should be learning and growing in our fields. Um, but it just comes with time. And so not to overwhelm yourself or try not to, I know that's easier said than done, but just knowing that like, after you do anything for the first time, like getting that under your belt usually makes you feel more comfortable and more confident moving forward. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, Feel like I would have felt like that regardless of how old I was my first year and I definitely felt like who am I to be teaching about research methods and that was the first course I ever taught was research methods and then I moved into ethics and advanced research methods and stuff like that and I think one thing to remember if you're looking at this and you're thinking to yourself like what do I have to offer is if if you're passionate about that and you truly feel like this is something that 
one thing I tell people that are still like in the classroom or, you know, still working some in some capacity in the district, because that's mostly who who asks me about this is people working in districts asking me, like, do you think I could do this? Like if you would definitely have something to bring to the table and people want to hear about your experience, especially like if you like I've worked with reading specialists who are like, yeah, I'd love to teach a reading course. It's like, why do you think you couldn't? Like you teach reading all day long, you know, like that trust your training, trust what you do, especially if you have a passion for helping other people accomplish this as well. Like I love doing research. That's why I went to get my PhD. And so when I was presented with being able to teach research methods, after I'd done like tons of research projects, you know, it's something that I did over and over and over again. And I, I loved doing that. And it was, you know, something that you can just talk about. If there's something that you can talk about pretty easily, something you're passionate about, I definitely think you have the ability to then teach that to other people. I think that's such a good point. I mean, if you're passionate about what you're doing and you're lucky enough to be teaching that, that's something like, I feel like we all remember like being in college and having that one professor or hopefully more than one, but like when somebody felt like you felt like that person wanted to be there. And to me, I feel like that always made it like a more enjoyable class. And so I hope that I bring that to my students because I know I do always want to be there and I wouldn't be doing this because, and I think that's nice about what we both do because it's our kind of like side job. So Mm -hmm. I'm doing it like, yes, it brings me extra income that I can provide for my family, but it's also something I enjoy doing. Mm -hmm. And so I hope that comes across because, um, I think when that comes across in any situation, it makes it a more enjoyable experience for everyone who's coming to the table. Um, and it's also reminding us that like, I'm passionate about what I do. It doesn't mean that I have to be an expert in like every single aspect of everything that I teach Mm -hmm. because some of my content is a little more broad. And sometimes we talk about maybe, you know, a student becoming classified, um, through the IEP process. Like I am not a learning consultant. I don't do educational testing or something like that. Um, so if I get to that chapter and I'm thinking back, oh wait, like, is it this or comes first or that comes first? And there's been times this year too, where I feel like I'm a little bit more confident in telling my students, like, I don't actually know the exact answer to your question. If somebody's like, oh, that process you told us about, like, what if this happens? And this happened the other day where I was like, honestly, I'm pretty sure this would happen, but I'm going to like check in with some of the learning consultants in my district and get back to you because like, I don't want you to leave with just my opinion on what it would be. That's not my exact specialty. Um, but reminding us that like, nobody's an expert in everything. So for Mm -hmm. me to think I shouldn't be doing it because I'm not the expert in every single thing, like nobody would fill those shoes. Like nobody has nine certifications and is an expert in every field and also teaches this course that I'm teaching. So, um, I think that's also something that I respect when somebody tells me, I actually don't know the exact answer to that, but like, I'll find out and I'll get back to you. Right. So is there anything else you want to share with our uh, listeners who are potentially looking at this as something that they might want to try and do? I would just say if it's something that somebody is thinking about trying, definitely go for it. And there's probably a lot more opportunities than you might think at first glance. And there's also probably, um, you're probably going to get a lot more out of it than you even realize. So I think it's definitely something that... um, Similar to just being a teacher in general, if you're even thinking about it, you're probably in the right path and knowing that you'll really like it because Mm -hmm. it's something that um, if you're already teaching, especially or in the field of education, it's something that can bring you like a new level of like experience and you can bring your experiences there and maybe even like prevent some of that burnout. I was listening to your other episode about because it kind of keeps you fresh and kind of Mm -hmm. still 
to learning new things and um, talking about things with new people. Yeah, for sure. And there's one quick question I forgot to ask you. A lot, a lot of people ask me, like, how much time do you think you do? Uh, do you dedicate to this a week? Like, how the feasibility of it with with right. your lifestyle? Um, it definitely depends on if it's a brand new course I'm teaching or not. If it's a course that I'm lucky enough, I'm teaching it again for like the third or fourth time, I would say it's more seamless. So I would, I would devote like the actual class time, like say the three hour class once a week. And then I'm probably doing like up to an hour prep work and then like an hour, at least like grading after it but spread out over the week. And then, like I said, I try to front load myself with everything. So if there's any prep work I can do, I'm not like a last minute person. I try to like constantly keep on top of it. And that just personally for me works really well, especially just with the way the semester rolls, like you kind of have to in that world, because otherwise you're coming to the next class. If things haven't been graded yet, or if you haven't addressed something from prior, the class is moving on, you know, and and you're leading the ship. So you have Mm -hmm. to be ready to move on. Um, If it is a brand new course, I will say that takes a lot longer, Um, but hopefully it's not like you'd be teaching a brand new course every semester, probably. So as soon as you got comfortable teaching it, you know, you'd have a lot more legwork done for the future semester. Right. Definitely. I, I would say about the same, like I, I have the three hour class once a week and then I probably, I like to grade like intermittently. One grading is not one thing they like to sit down and do all at the same time, but all of my assignments are due on Sunday. So I start grading on Thursday. So, and it's just like two or three people that have it turned in on Thursday, then two or three more on Friday. And I just grade them slowly. So it's not like, such a time suck and I do that in the morning before I go to work and then um I would say like prep wise yeah probably about an hour a week so total a week for me it's probably between it's probably about six hours um a week that I spend doing that and I I definitely think that it's manageable and it's something that I've you know, once you've done it for a couple of semesters, you kind of get into your system of in your flow of how you manage that with managing you know, everything else you have going on. But I would recommend if that's something that you are concerned about, potentially starting in the summer, uh, trying to find a summer course because it, it eliminates your job while you're trying to figure out your systems and procedures for, you know, pre- prepping your class, all of that stuff. And then, you know, if you were offered to do it again in the fall, is it if it's something that you think you could feasibly work into your schedule? For sure. That's a good point. And I think just knowing where you're at with the rest of your lifestyle too is huge. Like, I don't think for me, I could have started teaching at the college level the same year I started at my district job, or if I switched districts or the year that I had, you know, my child or something like that. Like, so it depends on like, that was my one, like a new thing I was doing that year. So I had a lot of extra time to devote for it to it, which was cool. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much and probably have you back on for another fun topic. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everyone, that's all we have for you today. Hopefully that this episode was helpful. And if you're interested in becoming an adjunct professor, you take some steps into looking at different schools or start applying to some different programs. If you have any questions, feel free to message myself or Caitlin. We'd be happy to answer any of your questions. Have a great rest of the day.